We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. Yeah, it's so good to be here. Ooh, a lot of energy today. Yeah, you can't tell. That. You can't tell once we start rolling because we got to get professional. But kind of like buckled down. Yeah, it's kind of rough. Sometimes it's hard to wrangle it in. Yeah, because we just want to be silly and we are not a glum lot. We are not a glum lot, especially me. You kind of are sometimes, <laughs> but like I, <clears throat> I like to party. Yeah, you do. That's why you listen to the radio and watch tv at the same time dude and i like while i'm doing that i actually tap my head and rub my belly while i'm listening to the radio and watching tv it's gonna be coming out soon yeah cameron's new video yeah it's actually a master class i'm gonna teach people how to do it yeah nice so well i'm glad to be here i'm glad you're here i'm glad we're doing this i'm glad we have such awesome friends and family people that are willing to, to help us out on the show and we got an awesome story like a, a really kind of relatable story but even though he's from way across the country from where we're at you know we got a story from dave new, new york, york dave. dave yeah <laughs> new I love york it. dave and uh he tells us what it was like for him and we gained we gained a pretty good topic out of it you know and so we're just gonna see how the show goes we're gonna let go and let god kind of guide the show what do you mm. think I think that that sounds like a really good excuse to just sit here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we pulled, we pulled that topic. Let go and let God. Uh, we hear it all the time in the recovery movement. Not, not necessarily just in the 12-step rooms or anything like that, but all over the place. A lot mm-hmm. of different, you know, we're finding that a lot of different uh, recovery outlets use a higher power model. You know, some power. sort of, yeah, some sort of uh, power beyond themselves yeah. right? model. And, and oftentimes when your back's against the wall and don't really know what to do, we're told what? Let go and let God. Yeah. yeah. Which I remember, you know, hearing for the first time when I was early in recovery and I didn't, I did not understand. I was like, what does that even mean? Like, let, let go of what? And let God what? <laughs> like what? Yeah. You know, it just sounds like. You're yeah. putting together a short L word and then a short G word. They yeah. make no sense to me. Like, yeah. I was very, uh, very skeptical. But, um, you know, as uh, as my recovery journey progressed, I began to understand the concept. And um, and, you know, and it, it wasn't anything that came automatic. Yeah. Um, I let go and let God just simply to me. It means that I have to accept that there are moments where I am powerless and the quicker I am to do that and to let go of control and let God run the show, yeah. the more, um, the more I, I move with the ebb and flow of life mm-hmm. rather than, uh, try and live life on Cameron's terms. Yeah. So it, uh, it's been super critical for me and a learned process, yeah. not anything that, uh, that I knew how to do from the get go. Yeah. Well, what do you do? What do you do? How do you let go and let God if you don't believe in God? 
right? Well, I, I, I mean, I think that that comes back to the bigger question, you know, the higher power question, because, you know, you can say, let go and let God, but it's like, well, let go and let something other than you, right. you know, run the show. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that, that when we get here, we're control freaks? We're, yeah. Like, like we're ever, ever trying to control everything and everyone and all the stuff around we're us. We're the directors. Like, like we can control the weather and we can control whether or not we get to where we're going on time to do whatever it is we're trying to control doing with whatever people we're trying to control to make sure that everything goes our way in our favor. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, we spent exhausting amounts of time in our life staying intoxicated trying to control the world around us and then we find ourselves in sobriety be it through some type of trauma arrest treatment some health issue forced by work or a loved one you know whatever reason we've ended up in sobriety and all of a sudden our backs are against the wall and we have no control over anything but we still feel the need to have control over it because the illusion that if everything would go my way my way Mm -hmm. If you guys would all just stay put, you go there, weather stay here, money come this, you do that, person say this, I behave this way, then all will be perfect. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's it's funny hearing that because like even if all that stuff happened, I'd find a problem with it. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, the weather changed the way that I wanted it to, but... But I actually was hoping that that weather would be something I could enjoy with this person and they're not here. You know, I would find yeah. a way to make it into, you know, to make myself a yeah. victim well, of circumstances. Yeah, find yourself just again, again, looking for something else to control. Right. right. And so, like, I remember, like what you were saying, I remember early on my sponsor talking about letting go and letting God and people in, in the recovery rooms, let go and let God, they'd be telling a story of some disaster or problem that they would be having, whether it be like employment or family or health or something like that, you know, and there, there would be a certain outcome that they were uncertain of. And then they would say the old adage, I'm just going to let go and let God. Mm -hmm. And so Uh, One of the things that my sponsor worked with me on, you know, when I would go to him with all these issues of certain things that I had that I wanted a certain outcome on, but couldn't necessarily make it that way. He would ask me, well, what do you have control over? And and he would help me dial those things in. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what can you control? You know, you need more money. Can you control having more money? How? Right. And I'd have to go through the process and be like, well, I could gain a new skill that would that would make me more valuable. I could switch jobs. I could ask my boss for a raise. Uh, You know, I could discuss this stuff. I could sell some things and and we would go through and say, "Okay, you have control over all of those things. So why are you freaking out about it? Right. Mm -hmm. And then there would be the stuff that like. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in the election and if the gas prices go up and I don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. And, you know, if, if my company shuts down and all that stuff and you're like, are, are any of these things something you can control? Sure. So why are you losing sleep over? What are you going to do with that? You need to let it go. Right. And you get, well, how do I, how do I let it go? It feels too good being in it. And that's one of the problems with a lot of us, right? That that fear gets exhilarating, I think. And and I, I, mm. I can admit that I like a little exhilaration. 
Sure. I'm a little addicted to chaos mm-hmm. and, and I can spin my own wills for entertainment from time to time. And, uh, I think that's part of it, you know? Well, I mean, whether it's, whether it's something that we're seeking or whether it's something that, uh, that we're chasing, it becomes comfortable. Like the fear, the fear of not having control and the chaos, right? Like when things don't go our way, it's, it's hard to just move past it and let go of it because we're so used to being in that state of anxiety <laughs> yeah. that it becomes difficult to just be like, what do you mean? I don't have to actually feel that way. Well, <laughs> yeah. then what am I going to, what am I going to feel am I like? Supposed to do? Yeah. Like, well, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Yeah. But, you know? So I think that it, it, uh, it, it is one of those things. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's a learned process. It's super, super tricky. And I really appreciate the way that you, um, the way that you put that because, uh, it is just so much of a, of a fear and exhilaration that, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that we would ever just long for that chaos. But I think that in, I can only speak for myself. Like it really does feel like the attic, just looking for something else to drink over, Uh, you know, like another reason for, for me to find a problem with, um, with the world and the things around me and, and another excuse to drink. Like when you were talking about like the weather, earlier, it made me just think about, you know, like how many times I might plan a trip, right? This is a good example of like letting go and letting God, right? Like plan a trip. I spend all this money. I make all these plans and I finally like take the time off of work. Um, I, you know, make sure that A is in place, B is in place, C is in place, that I can get to this place on time, that I have a car to rent, that the beach is open, and then I take all the time to get there, and then it rains, right? Right. And and there's there's a part of me... Does that really happen? Well, actually, I mean, it did kind of happen in a way. It was before I was, like, um, super big addict, but, um, (laughs) but, like just think about that. Right. Like in, in my addict mentality, like what, what I can see myself doing is like, fuck, I can't catch a break. Uh, Give me a bottle. Yeah. I'll just get drunk. I'll I'll just just drink drink this day away. You know? Um, whereas like, you know, Cameron in recovery goes, well, I guess it fucking, I guess it's just meant to rain. Right. Like whatever, like it's going to rain. Like I'm going to fucking do my stuff. Like I'm still going to do something like I'm going to enjoy the rain. Like, look at how beautiful it is. Look at, look at how, like, like the way it smells. Right. Like, um, and look at what it's doing to the clouds. Look at what, you know, like really just get into it instead of just fighting the way that nature is because I can't do anything about it. And it's just going to happen whether I like it or not. So I might as well embrace it because the addict in me will always, always be defiant of what is. Yeah. You know, and just find a reason to take a drink. That's that's the ultimate goal (laughs) of the of the disease. You know, and I think it is a disease, disease of the mind. You know, I I agree with the disease model of alcoholism. Absolutely. And that's its goal is to get us back. Get us back. It needs its numbers or whatever. I don't know. Like Camry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, calling you. Let's go have a drink, buddy. Let's do it, man. Yeah. What do you you know, this this thing is cunning, baffling, and powerful and, and we've been through these ups and downs and there's been times where, 
you know, we've held on to great lengths to things that we should let go of, you know, some of them, you know, that, that I've struggled with in sobriety, you know, one of, one of them is food. Like it's not, mm. that's not, uh, uncommon, right. You know, <sighs> so when I go through these stages of being in the food, um, here I am, right. I'll, I'll, I'll go through a process of letting the food go for a time, right? And I'll be successful in that. And, and this is this is one of the things that I struggle with up and down, up and down, up and down that I have over the last 10 years where I've been paying attention to it. Right. When I look back, I can see that I've struggled it's with everything my whole life. Yeah. But, you know, as I've tried to find sanity around food, you know, sanity in, in all areas of my life, but we're just using food for the example right now, is... Uh, I'll go through a period where I, I put restrictions on myself, right? Where I'm, I'm going, okay, I'm not going to eat any pizza. I'm not going to eat any uh, lar bars. I'm not going to eat any peanut butter because those are trigger foods for me. And I know that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'll have a week or two weeks of of good, you know, I'll, I'll break through the, the, the cravings. I'll get through the craving phase. I'll get through the habitual snacking phase, you know, get to the place where I'm feeling pretty decent. I'm eating pretty much the same thing throughout the day. And then a couple of weeks later, and then I'll, I'll get the idea that, you know, maybe an apple with a little bit of peanut butter on it, will be okay. And then what I end up doing is trying to take control of something that controls me. Mm. And it was the same way with my relapses. When I would drink, I would, I would, you know, do a time in jail and I would, I would get out and I'd be like, I'm not drinking. I'd be successful for a day or a week or a month. And then the idea would come, you know, I can probably handle like one. Like, right. like, I don't know. It probably wasn't that big of a deal. And one was never the problem. And, and I would go and, and, and I would have one. And, and the thing that ends up happening, instead of me letting go of that craving or letting go or turning it over, if you will, asking for for 10 minutes of sanity or waiting for the craving to pass i'll indulge in that thing and it kick starts the obsession right and now i'm no longer living in the freedom of it letting it go and and being in that path of success now i'm living back in the obsession of using and now all of my thought goes back to the substance right Mm -hmm. and then i got to go through all this shit all this mental fucking anguish while I stuff my face and justify it and, and eat and eat and, and talk about not eating and then try to do good and go through the insanity of the same shit over and over and over again to a point where I'm willing to again reach out to a power greater than myself and ask again for some sanity and letting that go. Help me be willing to let this go. Mm-hmm. You know, that cycle. Sure. Fucking cycle. Sure. Cycle. Well, and as you're sharing that, like I can tell that it's very apparent that that's something that you're, you know, currently dealing with. And I think that it's important for people to know that like this, it's, it's, it's always going to be there. Like it's always something that I've always got to do. I've always got to be willing to let go and let God, like in, in my situation lately, like my case, like I don't know, like it's, it's interesting to me because I think as I have these different changes in my life, um, I try to decide if this new anxiety that I'm feeling is because of that change or if it's um, just, you know, 
just something that's happening as a result of um, inaction or whatever the case may be. And like right. my case right now, like I'm just noticing a lot of fear and anxiety within myself um, when I'm interacting with people socially. Um, and and uh, and it just so happens to coincide with the fact that I now have a new child, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, is this something that is happening because there's this kid here now and like I'm really worried about being a better person because this child is here and, and now all of a sudden I've got these emotions inside where um, I'm very, very aware of how I'm being perceived by other people or what is the case. And like, just to give you an example, like, um, for some reason, like when I'm interacting with people at work, I just find myself having a lot of fear that I've done something that a, they're going to take offense to B, they're going to fire me over or C, they're going to, it's just overall going to be perceived as dumb, right? Uh -huh. Like I'm going to say something stupid it's gonna and create an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's probably the ultimately like the over encompassing thought, right? It's going to create an uncomfortable situation. So I get this really weird anxiety in me. And the other day, for example, um, I had a work thing early in the day and then I had a family event with my wife's family members and, uh, and I went to that and I'm feeling a lot of the same thing when interacting with her family members and thinking like, I'm going to say something stupid or I've done something to these guys that, you know, they are, uh, they are treating me cold because of something that I have done or, and it's all in my head, mind you, like every bit of it is, is me assuming. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I think, wait a minute, like if, if I was feeling that way with coworkers earlier and now I'm feeling that way with family members, odds are not all these people are plotting <laughs> against me. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, okay. If I'm the common element here, then the problem is likely to reside within me. Right. And I think that um, when we're out there using and abusing, it's easy to think that literally everybody else is, is out to get me, right? Everybody else needs to change. And now I'm in this situation where I can look at that and go, what's going on with me? Yeah. Like, really, like, what's going on with me? And I've really had to go, like, maybe all that's true. Maybe I am going to say something stupid to coworkers. Maybe I am going to do something they're going to fire me over. Like, maybe, maybe all that will happen. Like, again, break it down. Like, what can I control? Well, I can do the best job that I can possibly do to, right. to, to hopefully avoid getting fired. <clears throat> I can... Um, be sure to communicate in a professional and courteous manner with these people so that I know that it's highly unlikely for me to offend them. Um, and I can do the same thing with, with Brianna's family members, right? Like I can be myself. I can be sure not to say anything that I know will be offensive. And outside of that, it's not my, it's right. not my control. Like I have no control over what's going to happen. Like if, if I do all those things and I do all the things I know I can do as Cameron and they still choose to behave that way. Mind you, they're not behaving that way now, but it's, it's all my perception, <laughs> right? Do. Yeah. Like if, if I still feel like they're, they're, they're acting that way towards me yeah. after I've done all those things, 
then then there's a level of letting go. Yeah. Like, it's not my problem. If they, if if any of that's true and they really don't like me, that's on them, right? Yeah. Let go, let God. Like, I I can only do what I can do. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, it's on them. Yeah. And I can't control that, so I'm just gonna do what I can do. So I mean, that's something that I'm working through right now, like yeah. as we speak. So six years sober, like it's still it's still a thing, yeah. right? Like it's not automatic. It is still something that I have to process and go through. Like you said, your sponsor did with you. Yeah. So I have to look at that stuff today. Yeah. Help, help yourself out. And I love that you brought up the point of action, you know, because, um, and, and that you brought up your, your child because there's so much, there's so much in that, that we have zero control over. And, and I know for me being a father, like, this disease will try to crop up and, and give me fears that are just unbelievably mm. horrific, right? I'll go through and I'll, I'll just imagine the worst possible outcome for them playing in the yard, you know, oh, uh, you know, sure. Or, or, you know, and with this pandemic and everything that everybody's going through, you know, health, the kids getting sick, you know, the, the finances being, being a dad, you know, and, and again, um, with, with children, there's just only so much that I can control. Mm -hmm, Right. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like because of the work that my sponsor did with me on that, the action that comes from letting go and letting God doesn't mean that we sit on the couch and wait for the check to come in the mail. Right. What, what, what I think letting go and letting God is it's, it's letting go of the immediate anxiety, the fear that we're feeling immediately. However you do that, whether it's through, prayer and meditation, talking to somebody, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. doing a breathing exercise, uh, lifting weights, going outside for a walk, um, thinking it through, you know, um, one of the exercises I use for, um, immediate anxiety is a, uh, identification process. You know, like you were saying, one is, is, is what the anxiety I'm feeling. Is it true? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Is it real? Is it even real? Yeah. Yeah. Right. One, is there any, is there anything that I can do about it? If there is, what is it? Why am I not doing anything about it? Mm -hmm. And what do I need to do to do something about it? Because if, if there's literally seriously nothing that I can do about it, right. Then I have to go through the process of, of letting that imaginary control go. Right. The only reason that I'm feeling anxiety over something that I can't control is because I have the illusion that I can control the outcome of it. Mm. And so I think when we're talking about that topic of let go and let God, we're taking that fear, I think, right? Because I've never got a paycheck, a, a, a nice fat paycheck with a with overtime and bonus on it and said, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm good now. You know, mm-hmm. I've never, <laughs> I've never had, I've never had a great relationship where I was like, well, this is awesome. I'm just going to let go and let God, you know, <laughs> I've never, I've never uh, been enjoying a good movie where I'm laughing and having fun where I was like, oh, I'm just going to let go and let God. Right. I think, I think maybe in those moments I am letting go and letting God, but I only use that term when shit's going downhill. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when, when it's going bad. And so I think, I think that that's kind of the, the premise of it is, you know, I can't control this thing. So there's no reason for me to sit around in this imaginary, uh, 
de- destruction, the sense of impending doom. So I'm going to let go, however you do that. And then I'm going to let whatever I believe in, whatever the, you know, the, the universe, creation, karma, whatever it is, something, yeah. control the outcome of it. And I'm just going to have faith that that's the best possible outcome for this situation. And usually when I do that, you know, I'm not, I'm not real huge on like, on like sitting down and, and having these really, uh, intense, uh, really detailed prayers or anything like that. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not real big on, on asking the universe for anything, but, um, when I let go of that fear and trust the process, it's always turned out okay. Yeah. I'm here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've made it through everything I've ever been through. Mm -hmm. I've made it through everything I'm currently going through. And so it's pretty fucking insane to think of that. I'm not going to get through the next one. You know, it's just, it's a nice tool. And I think that, that it's kind of a type of affirmation sort of thing that it's, it's almost in the same vein of saying everything's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it it takes it to a deeper level. Like you reassure yourself with your previous experiences and, and, and I, I've done that as well. Like anytime that I feel like there's a thousand things in front of me and I've got just like so much work to do and like home stuff and just, Oh, there's a lot on my plate at the moment. Right. And I just get so stressed out and I'm just like, Oh my God, like, how am I ever going to do this? And I'm like, you know what? I felt like this before. I've had just as many things on my plate or more or more. And I'm here today. Mm -hmm. I got through it. Right. So I have faith that I can do it again because I've already done it before. And, and I really appreciate you going through that, that breakdown process, because I think that it is important to recognize like what is real, what is actually happening and what is me making up shit in my mind. Yeah. And, and then from there, like, do I have this imaginary control? And, um, and if so, then what am I going to do about it? Right. Um, one of the things that I think has been helping me lately is, um, you know, I've been, I've taken a return back to, um, some daily meditation. Um, I've kind of gotten away from that just with the RPM. Yeah. The RPM, like just with, uh, how things have been going with the child and, um, not a good excuse, but a, a reason maybe it's excuse all the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> an excuse all the same still looks like an excuse to me, but anyways, um, and, and I've, and I noticed just such a big difference in that level of anxiety. So with this situation that I'm talking about, you know, like, um, with like interacting with people socially, it's a good opportunity for me to sit down and, and breathe through that. Right. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, what is actual, what is fact, what is truth and what is absolutely beyond my control without a doubt. And then let go of that through, Mm -hmm. through, you know, breathing exercises and talking about it. Like that's the other really important thing is like, um, all this anxiety and stuff that I've been feeling, I've been sharing with my wife because I can't sit on it because I will start to believe it. Right. If I do not, if I do not talk about it with somebody else that knows how I am 
or somebody else who shares these experiences, I will start to believe those negative thoughts. Yeah. And it will take me to a place where I start isolating. I pull back from people. I'm no longer interacting. And then I miss opportunities at work. I miss connections with family members. <laughs> you know, you it, name it, it. It's almost like you're forcing the, the feared outcome. Right. Yeah. Well, ex exactly. Right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. right? Like I've, if I go into this situation, assuming that you're thinking this about me, I will no doubt coerce that feeling from you through my actions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy and the exact opposite of let go and let God. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I want to touch on another thing that you said, um, which I think is so crucial and has been in, in my journey with any of this stuff. And that's faith because I really do have to trust like once I've let go, right. I do have to put my trust in whatever is meant to happen will happen. And I know that, that fucking sucks to hear sometimes. And I hate saying that out loud. Like, well, what's, what's supposed to happen will happen. And, and it's like, it's so true though. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, there's been so many times where I've had to just be like, that is not at all what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. But it's what happened. And I can't imagine it any other and way it's now. It's so much better than what yeah, I would gave myself. For for sure. And so having that faith kind of comes from that same place um, that we just talked about, where I remember being in situations previously where I was able to let go. I had faith that it was all gonna work out the way that it was supposed to. Right. And it absolutely did. So once I start seeing the evidence of the good things that come from letting go, it becomes all that much easier to just yeah. and let somebody else take this one, you know, somebody that has more power than me. Cause I have yeah. none. Yeah. Well, we don't do a great job of managing our own lives for a while. And it's, it's just like you said, man, we, we will take this thing and burn it to the ground. Right. Yeah. Burn it to the ground. Yeah, that's yeah. all I know how to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. And I mean, we we do learn how to manage some stuff and, and it all comes with the process, man. And it, and it has to come down to, you know, knowing that that spot, you know, where do I let this go? Mm -hmm. Enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I've suffered enough. And, and that's what it really comes down for me. Like I end up suffering through my own shit yeah. and I hate it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. You know, I like being happy, joyous, and free. And and this process of letting go and letting God helps me be a little more free on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Well, because how does it feel when we hold on to that stuff? Yeah. And, and when we're holding on to that stuff and it's not going according to our plans, dude, I am destructive. I am, again, isolating. I am absolutely out to hurt anybody that I feel has hurt me. And so I just turn that outward and, and proceed to burn my life to the ground. Yeah. All because of, of this perception of control that I have, which is an absolute illusion. Like if I, if I have decided that I'm going to have this certain thing, look a certain way and you have come along and stop that from happening, boy, you know, like <laughs> watch out. Yeah. Watch out. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I'm no holds barred. Uh -huh. I'm no holds barred. Like I will fuck my life up in the process. Yeah. 
um, just clearly despite you. And it, it's it's almost like we're a shit magnet. You know, one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that Dave said was was you know what he got told was let go or be dragged, and and we'll let you hear that here in a little bit. But when I think about that, right? When I think about let go or be dragged, I think here we are carrying all this shit, mm-hmm. right? And here comes the opportunity. Here comes sobriety and kind of grabs us like like an eagle grabs a fish, if you will, I guess. I don't know. I and, like that. And, and you're the fish. And the only problem is that you're a shit magnet fish. And it just, you're holding on to the eagle trying to stay sober. And, and the longer you hold on, the more shit you drag across. And it still picks up on you. You know, you're still picking up shit mm-hmm. as long as you're dragging on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And until you let go of it, life is going to happen. Right. And you can stay in your misery and life will still happen, right? And you can t- continue in misery that you had yesterday and the misery you pick up today and the misery you're going to pick up tomorrow. Or you can learn a process that's going to help you stop, start letting go of that shit. Yeah. Because right? it's, it's, it ultimately, it is a choice. It, For it sure. really is. And, and so, you know, do I still want to be miserable over this fear today that I had yesterday and that I had the day before? Or do I want to take up some of these spiritual tools that these people in this recovery movement keep talking about? Right. And and if if I don't know how to do a certain thing, if I've heard a cliche mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. let go or let God or or keep it simple or, or whatever, I mean, name your cliche. And I don't know how to do that. A good thing to do is like maybe ask somebody their opinion on on it, right? Like like stay in connection. Us alone is is, is a bad place mm-hmm. because I am my problem. Right, right, right. And it's easy for me to convince myself that I'm not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's easy for me to convince myself that I'm the solution and that everybody else right? is the problem. And and when we go back through. And we look at our lives, right? When I go back and I look at my life as a using and drinking alcoholic and addict, I asked for that to stop. And it did. And then I want to take my will back and try to convince myself that I'm not going to do that same thing that I did the previous 20 times. I could do the same thing. And it wouldn't be the same, right? And it's a lie. It's a fucking illusion. Like, if I take ultimate control of my life, don't be transparent with another alcoholic. Don't stay out of the way. Don't keep faith in the process. Mm -hmm. Don't ask for help outside of myself. Not be willing to believe in a power that's greater than me that can control the show or run the show or give me suggestions or guide me in my spirituality or thinking. You know, stay willing in that. Even if I don't necessarily at the moment believe in that, but I'm willing to, then I'm going to do the same thing that I always have done. I'm going to go back to the thing that I didn't want, convinced that that's the thing that I need. And that's the insanity of the disease. And so that's one of the things that we have to let go of mm-hmm. if you want to be if you want to be happy joyous and free and that's what I want you know we we're having a great time in, b- before the show just goofing off and 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 just I didn't have there wasn't a cloud on the horizon yeah man it's a lot of fun like and that's the thing is like when I mean, as far as cliches go, I got another one for you. Life on life's terms. (laughs) And that's what we're talking about here. You know, when we we talk about like, let go and let God, like, can you imagine how, how this morning would have gone if I would have been like, we need to start the show at this time. We need this to happen. This has to happen. And just making sure that everything was in its place. Like 
we we have an environment sometimes not always like sometimes we're all business right um but sometimes we have this environment where what we do here is meant to be enjoyed just like life yeah and so we come into it and we go you know what like we're gonna make sure that we do everything we need to do but we're also gonna enjoy the process yeah and uh and that's absolutely what we do because by letting go we are like living life on life's terms and and the minute that I understood that concept of life on life's terms, it was like, there was a part of me that was like, does that mean you're like a little bitch? Like, <laughs> you're like just doing whatever the man wants you to do. You know what I mean? But like yeah. at the same I'd time, surrender. like I surrender exactly. But like at the same time, like how much more peaceful and calm and joyous and happy yeah. and free am I when I just let life happen the way it's going to happen? And let go of the things I cannot control. Yeah. You know, um, my life is amazing. It's yeah. been amazing today, you know, and, and it is important if I have any questions or if I have any doubts, um, or I don't understand a certain thing that I do reach out to somebody because another cliche, like you said, you know, my mind is a dangerous neighborhood. I don't go in there alone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have, I have people that I've met in these rooms, in these programs that I can talk to that know what it's like to be me, that know what it's like to have this way of thinking yeah. and that can all have, the same shit. Yeah. That can help me like through this process because it is a journey yeah. and it is a learned behavior. Yeah. And so no, I like that you brought that up because, um, you know, one of the things that we do 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 <laughs> one of the things that happens with with people like us is that and we've said it already we get the illusion of control and so um if i if i'm talking to another person in sobriety that's been through some of the same things that i have that have a little better grasp on uh the reality of things that day mm -hmm. right and it, it's not a it's not a overall comparison of time right because this can this can come from a person with six months that has a better grasp on it than you today to a person that's been sober for 40 years that oh, has a right. better grasp on it than you today right and that's what it's about it's about today if i can talk to somebody that has a little better grasp on it today they can point out the errors in my thinking and remind me of the things that i'm not in control of and and help me think those things through like like you know are you really do you, can you really do something about this particular situation you know and then then it helps me mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. i will start thinking i can me <laughs> i i and that's my disease is yeah. i i i me 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 you know, fix, 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 control, 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 consume, 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 burn, burn, burn. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the process, man. And, and so, uh, letting go is letting go, man. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to fucking trip on it today. I'm not going to trip on it this moment. You know, a good one at night is I, I let go of it all at night, dude. I thought you were going to break into the Frozen song for a minute. I thought about it. My, my daughter loves everything Frozen, mm -hmm. but please don't send us chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, well, and I like that you, what you, what you kind of just stepped your toe into right there was uh, was this nightly process. Uh -huh. right? You said you let go of everything at night. I really do. So what do you, I mean, do you mean just the day's stuff, tomorrow's stuff? What? Uh, yeah, all of it, right? Man. I, I really do. And, and what, what I found is, is uh, 
and I've been doing this every night for a while. I'll, I'll turn on YouTube. I'll put it on ambient space music. Oh, cool. And it's just really kind of allows you to, right? And, and I'm able to, to, to watch my thoughts pop up mm. and go, tomorrow you got this. And I go, I can't do anything about it today. Nice. Today this happened and I can't do anything about it right now. You got this bill to pay and I can't pay it on this moment. You know, you have this and I watch him pop up and fall off. And eventually I drift off and I, I imagine myself floating around in space. I don't know. I'm scared to death of space, but I don't, I don't know. I, that's where I always go. I either go there or I go to this cabin in the, in the, uh, woods, a winter cabin in the woods to, to comfort myself in those moments of meditation. And, and it usually will go away. It goes away. The days, the cares, the worries, and I fall asleep. Um, I, I get to think about the things that I'm grateful for and stay in that place. So, I mean, that, that works for me at night, you know, and the other, the other thing that works really well throughout the day is really, you know, doing that inventory, you know, looking at, looking at what I can do, what I have done and what I need to do. You know, mm -hmm. is there something that I'm doing, some behavior that I'm having, some character defect that's flaring up in me? Am I trying to control or be selfish or take this or that? Uh, you know, what, what thing in my inventory and how can I make that thing right? Do I owe an apology? Um, all, you know, all those, all those tools that we learn that mm -hmm. make you a decent human being. It yeah. doesn't just make you a, an alcoholic in recovery. I think all these things make you a decent human being and, and make this, this rock that we're floating on a little more bearable for all of us to live on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I really, I really appreciate all that. I appreciate you sharing your, your process at night. I, I love to hear sort of everybody's, um, everybody's way of, of capping off their day because I feel like it, it, it should be, um, uh, we should put a little more intent into, into how we end mm -hmm. our day because, you know, one thing that I figured out is that my morning starts the night before. Yeah. Um, and, and, really I, and I really want to have a, uh, a morning that's going to, you know, set the bar for the day. Yeah. And so, yeah, I appreciate you sharing. Go that. out and be a great human being. Like, uh, like this guy that shared our story, his story with us. Yeah, I loved, I loved Dave, man. Yeah. That was super Good dude. great. I've seen him all over the place, man, too, on, on, on Instagram and, you know, these zoom meetings, he's, he's all over, you know, he's, he's very active. Yeah. And in his community, as you'll hear in his story, you know, he's really active in, in helping and being of service. Yeah. It was super cool to hear him sort of touch on um, how much his community has grown because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and, and because God forced his hand, as he said. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that because I feel, I feel a lot of the same way. Yeah. Like that we're, we're interacting with people that we never would have interacted with otherwise. Yeah. Um, and he's one of them. Yep. So it's, it's been really, really cool. Yeah. Really enjoyed his story. Yeah. Well, he can tell it a lot better than we can. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwashed Coffee. Brainwashed Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. 
with delicious blends like Coffee Commitment, Found a New Freedom. We drink a hell of a lot of it here, and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee purchase at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code OTHERSIDE. Clean your bean, brainwashed coffee. Now, without further ado, here is this week's war story. Uh, thanks. Well, my name is Dave. I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and uh, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Um, a little about myself, 57 years old, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and um, uh, one of five children. We're all in recovery. Well, we all were in recovery. My mom was in recovery, so uh, I hate war stories, but growing up, it wasn't bad, you know, uh, the usual party bullshit on the weekends or whatever and holidays, and then... Um, it just progressed and got worse. As little kids, we'd steal drinks, you know, and we thought it was funny. Um, about the age of 10, I, I started drinking more and more. Uh, by the time I was 12, I was really hitting it. Um, and, and life at home got bad uh, because, uh, like I said, mom and dad were both alcoholics. Dad was the, the happy drunk, you know, and mom was, she was the periodic alcoholic, bro. Uh, on, on, I used to call her a moon when there was a full moon out, you know, shit was going to hit the fan. And my poor father, that's where the emotional trauma comes in for me in my childhood. My mom got real violent, man. She would beat him to within like an inch of his life. And as a little child, I had to like step in and protect him. Um, so that's why the drinking started progressing for me. Uh, my older sister's 12 years older than me. She's a Woodstock baby, so I seen all of that. And I always kept saying, I'm never gonna do this. I'm never gonna do this. But yet somehow I found myself doing the same shit they were. By the time I was 14, um, mom comes up to me after beating pops up and uh, he left to get the hell out of there because he didn't want to get beat up anymore. I'm like, yeah, it's about time you left. Uh, and says, why do you always protect him? He ain't even your dad. I was like, damn. So that took me for a blow. I, I let a couple of days go by and I asked my older sisters and I found out to be true that he wasn't, but he's my dad because he came into my life when I was three months old, you know? So that's, that's pops. Um, by the time I was 16 years old, uh, at 15, mom moved out because she brought another man home. And again, that ensued another fight. Me, my brother and my pops after the guy, uh, of course we won. Mom leaves with him and then uh, asks me who I want to live with. And of course I picked dad. So by the time I'm 16, dad can't hack it with the bills. So now I got to quit school. I mean, I wasn't fucking going anyway because I was cutting out the back door, going in the front door and out the back door in junior high school. I get to high school, I'm 16. And I quit in, uh, just before I made the 11th grade. And I went to work and I was making more money than he was. So now I'm the big shot on the street and because I make the money and... I was off to the races. I'm working with people 10 to 12 years older than me in the restaurant business, and I had arrived. You know, I'm hanging out with restaurateurs, bar owners, and, and I was accepted. Nobody ever questioned my age. That lasted for, to, for about a year until I was 17, and then uh, I said, man, something's wrong, because <laughs> I started blacking out behind my drinking and drugging, you know, and, and my drugging. Started off innocently with pot, you know what I mean? Everybody says, oh, don't do nothing. You know, pot does something, yeah. Um, Because then it led to cocaine. Then it led, led to whatever the hell you had and you gave me, I tried it, you know. Um, 
But I started blacking out and not knowing how I was getting home or not getting home or waking up on people's lawns and shit or, or in alleyways. And uh, so at 17 years old, I said, you know, I got to do something about this. And mom was already sober a year by then. I said, I ain't going to that AA thing uh-uh, because I went to one or two meetings with her. And I said, this ain't for me. I'm too young because there's a bunch of old son of a bitches in there like I am now. Uh, I joined the military. I went into the army. I did my four years and I knew in the army, uh, well, they're going to make you a man. You're going to be responsible. And yeah, I got that. And I took to that for the first three months of my training. And, but I got in a little bit of trouble here and there. So they put me on, on what they thought they were punishing me, KP duty, which is kitchen patrol. So I got, <laughs> I know my way around the kitchen cause I just came out of the restaurant business. I fit right in there and where does all the drugs and booze come from? The cooks. It comes in with the food deliveries. So I was back home again. But I said, that, yeah, I got to be careful. I'm government property. They piss test you and shit. I don't want to get caught and get thrown in the freaking Leavenworth or something, you know. Or worse yet, get thrown out and be disgraced. So I, I get through that. I coast through that for four years. Supposed to go to Germany. Supposed to go here. Supposed to go everywhere. And the only fucking place I have in what was bumfuck Georgia and stayed there. And then go nowhere. They made me cadre. I became a, an instructor. I was an armorer, so my love was weapons. <laughs> so I got to play with weapons all day and teach people how to use them. And I skated for four years. What did I do? I'm 21 years old now. I come back home to Brooklyn, New York. I'm in uniform. Where's the first place I hit? The bar. And everybody's buying me drinks and, and, and the drugs are flowing. And I picked up right where I left off four years ago, man. Forgot the whole reason why I went away and why I did that. Um, like I said, war stories, but I got uh, quite a few minutes here. So I, I jumped in and out of jobs because I couldn't find my spot. Because when I went in the military, I didn't go in for a career. I went in and I became a soldier. So I learned how to kill people and blow things up. So where the hell were they going to get a job doing that? So I filed. I said, you know, I've become a cop. <laughs> Half my family were police. I passed the exam, I got in, and I was in there maybe two weeks in the academy, and then I got thrown out. Because what I didn't know was I was partially deaf in my right ear from training in the military, so they couldn't accept me. So I'm like, all right, another rejection. So what do I do? I drink some more and drug some more on top of that. Um, went in and out, in and out of jobs. Uh, I ended up landing a job with, pri with a private sanitation company here in New York. You know, and I'm making... Fuck, I'm 57 years old, so you're talking 36 years ago. I'm bringing home $800,000 bank in my pocket every week, so I'm good to go. I didn't have to worry about bills. I still had money to party with, but yet somehow I got in hock. Um, I, I don't know what happened because I don't remember the night that well, but I, uh, I passed out driving this freaking truck and it weighs 40,000 pounds empty, man. Fully, I can weigh 80,000 pounds, which is 40 tons. The heaviest I ever weighed was 41 and a half tons. If I hit you, you're dead. You know, and, and I don't remember being behind the wheel of this shit. We had a new guy on the truck. Supposedly, I dropped him off at his home somewhere in Brooklyn. The next morning, they found the truck by the dump that had closed uh, on the borderline of Brooklyn and Queens. Truck was parked on the sidewalk. I laugh at it now. I was laying in the middle of the street. My pants leg cut open. They take me to the hospital. I wake up 18 hours later in the hospital, not knowing where the hell I am or what's going on. So right away, I'm belligerent. I want to get the hell out of there. The doctor comes, security comes. 
And they tell me and I'm, an, I'm an OD victim. I said, OD on what? I never stuck a needle in my arm. Well, you got a needle mark in your arm. I said, we better go talk to one of your nurses. And I don't remember putting a needle in my arm. Not that I haven't put it in other people's arms for them because they were shaking like a bitch. Uh, needless to say, they did a bunch of blood work. And um, what I OD'd on was alcohol. I had acute alcohol poisoning. And the doctors, and of course, I didn't believe them. I wanted to leave. And I, that's when I got locked up <laughs> because I'm a ward of the state. And it's for my own safety. They handcuffed my ass to the bed. He goes, we're going to do one more blood test just to be sure. I'm like, how many, how many? How much blood test are you going to do, man? You got your answer. But I stayed there. So it's probably like a 36-hour period. And he came back to me. He goes, you know, you're lucky you're alive. You died. I said, what? He goes, yeah, you flatlined, dude. We had to shock you back to life. I went, you full of shit. No, he wasn't. But I got the records to prove it. So that scared me for about a week or so. Needless to say, I lost that job. With sanitation, they didn't take kindly to having their truck parked on the sidewalk and their driver laying out in the middle of the street. Um, and, and like I said, so what did I have left to do? I'm already doing drugs, so why not sell them? And that got me in the jackpot, man. So I did that for a while, up until the age of 24 years old, and then working here and there on and off the books and doing whatever the hell I could. And uh, my cousin came up to me, he was a cop, and he handcuffed my ass, he threw me in the car, took me down to a park here locally, told his partner to get out. He got in the back of the car, threw a bunch of pictures on the seat. He goes, when are you going to stop, stupid? They got you. He goes, we can't help you no more. I said, all right. So I got an argument with my then old lady at the time. And so I said, screw it. I would, uh, another sanitation company picked me up, had me just uh, shaping up here and there when they needed a guy. I was supposed to go to work. Of course they didn't. I go in the bar, I start banging them back. My old lady walks in. So we make up and uh, I'm bending down to plug the dartboard in. And out of the corner of my eye, I see my old lady go flying into a wall. So my natural reaction is to jump up and swing in the fence. I don't know these guys are cops. <laughs> you don't come into a biker bar freaking with no badges on. They raided the place and they were coming to get me and the guy I was dealing for. Needless to say, I get thrown in jail. They said they were going to release her. That's after the cops beat the shit out of me. And um, of course, mom to the rescue because she's sober now and my girlfriend had some money on it. They put it up my bail. I was able to get out after being locked up for about two days. And uh, I said, I, I got to try to say anything. You know, I told my deal, you got to stay away from me because they're after you. I'm not ratting you out. I'm not saying nothing. You know what I mean? Just uh, we got to part ways, brother, because I'm facing eight and a third to 15. I said, I go on the inside. I'm gone, man. I, I, I can't do this. So I'm, I come into AA. I'm 24 years old. That was October the 1988, 33 years ago. Um, I was doing good for a while you know what i mean and this is the recovery part they said get involved well i got overly involved you know you got to be careful what you do in the program i had a commitment every night of the week making coffee greeting being the secretary whatever the hell you wanted me to do and the reason i did that was because look how good dave's doing look how look how look how good i look on the outside because you can't look know what's going on inside so that's what i did and um Things were going all right for a while. You know, I had a sponsor and he didn't want to do nothing about the book or the steps. He knew where there was a damn sober party every week. And then that's what I did. 
for like the first year. At the 14th month mark on January the on December the 20th, 1989, I was 14 months old when my mom died. I hated you people in the rooms. I hated God because he was a damn liar. Um, and I never had a problem with God, you know, coming in here. But I don't know how I made it another five months after that. I made it to 19 months. And I went out and I drank and I tried to kill myself. I forgot that part the first time. <laughs> I tried suicide one time before. And uh, so uh tried killing myself. I wake up the next morning and, and to my then old lady and she's packing the shit and moving out because that's what I asked her to do. That's the pack we made. We were both sober. I said, if any one of us ever drinks, we got to separate because that's what you're supposed to do. Or at least that's what I was told you got to do. So we did that, you know, and I went right back up to the clubhouse with my tail between my legs. I'm sitting there in the chair with my head down and my sponsor walks up to me and goes, what's the matter? I said, I went out and I drank. He goes, okay, and? So what do you mean, okay, and? I was offended. He goes, do me a favor, stand up. So I stood up. He goes, turn around. Turn around. He kicks me in my ass. So what the hell is that for? He goes, you've been doing steps one, two, three, one, two, three. He goes, when are you going to start looking at yourself and do four? So immediately I, uh, I said, nah, this ain't for me. We got to go back through the first three steps again. So that was my excuse not to do step four again. Needless to say, I went out five times in the first six years of my recovery. You know, and each time I went out, my time coming back got shorter and shorter and shorter. Like I said, the first time was 19 months. Then I had a little over a year. Then I think maybe I had nine months. Then, shit, I was lucky if I could put 30 days together. Or I was coming to meetings and lying and saying, yeah, I got X amount of time and going out and drinking. So that's what I did. Finally, on April 16th of 1994, uh, I was working, delivering, driving a truck again, me and a truck. I don't know what's with me and trucks, but I'm doing appliance deliveries and, and uh, I'm robbing them left and right. I made amends to them. Um, I walked into this bar. It was a Thursday night. Oh, I was DJing on the side and it was a percussion night. And they said, you started off at 50 cents for pints of beers. So the guy, bartender slid a beer down the bar. I said, shit, it's going to hit the end rail and tip over. I grabbed a twig half of it, went to the bathroom washed my hands, looked up into that same year I've looked up into, I don't know how many times, and I said, you stupid son of a bitch, you're doing it again. Came back, and that was on April the 15th. April the 16th, I walked back into the room. I grabbed my sponsor, and he goes, you did it again, right? I said, yep. He goes, you ready? I said, yep. And right then and there, I did my fourth step with him. And he said, all right, we got to do the fifth step. I said, I don't want to do the fifth step, because that's what I was really afraid of, doing the fifth step, admitting to myself, to another, well, I didn't, not myself, because who knows me better than me, but admitting to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs are shit. No. He said, dumbass, you just did it with me. You let me read your fourth step. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Me being spiritual and being religious, I, I had to go take it in, in, into my church and, and do it with a priest that was just for me, because it helped me. And I just went on from there, man. I, I went to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. Hell, I went through the first four steps. I probably in like 90 days, and people say, oh, you're crazy. How can you get a comprehension of that? I had been around six years already, you know, with, with the exception of going out five times, but I don't count and say I got 33 years. No, I've been, I've been in recovery for 33 years. I got 27 and a half freaking years of sobriety clean, and clean time. 
That's just for me. I know people who do it differently. Whatever way you get sober, you get sober, man. I mean, do people do it through podcasts like this? People do do it through IG. People do do therapy. I've been in therapy. People go religious route. For me, I, I'm an I'm an old school AA. I went to NA. NA didn't work for me in the beginning. It, it's different now. Because back then it was like a rivalry. <laughs> it was like, yo, you're an AA, you can't come to NA. And now I attend CA meetings. So what do I do today to stay sober? I go to meetings. And with this COVID shit the last year, it was hard, man. I'm a chairperson of a meeting and I run a meeting, uh, an in-person meeting, we close down and it's at my church. And it's like, I don't know when we're gonna open back up because of restrictions due to the church. So there were other meetings open up in the area and, uh, so I do them, I go to them, I get on here, I do this, I ask to speak wherever, I don't care what format it is, whether it's in person, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's in a Facebook community, whether it's writing my story out and giving it to somebody in the hopes that somebody will get something that I said, you know, because you see that I wrote a poem called An Awakening, you know, I had to, to find the darkness in order to see the light, you know what I mean? because I was lost, you know, there, there's a strong, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. You know, you can never be too low to be saved. You know, and, and I couldn't believe that because I remember laying in the street and laying in the gutter and people reaching their hand down to me to help me. Not give me, a, not to help me out, but to literally help me. Can we help you? And I'd smack that shit away because my pride and my ego you know, I had to let that go. My One of my sponsors, may rest in peace, he said, uh, instead of the saying, let go or let God, he used to say, let go or be dragged. And I said, what the hell do you mean, let go or be dragged? He goes, if you don't let go of your past, it's going to drag you back. See, I can't forget my past, and I, but I can't live in it and idolize it, you know. So I, I keep both feet firmly planted in AA. And, uh, and since then, I've gone back to my church. You know, when I first got sober, I jumped around from church to church, spiritual, trying to, I said, I used to say I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Well, I'm both, because <laughs> to me, they go hand in hand. So I got back in my church, and believe it or not, now I wear this hat, I became a freaking chaplain. Who would have thunk it, man? Me, a chaplain. I'm a crisis chaplain through the state of New York, so if there's a crisis, I get called and I go to pray with, to pray with people. And I'm like, me? You know, um... There was a line in that poem uh, that I wrote. When you think you've come to your end, please give God a try again. I don't know why people have a problem with God. I did. Uh, so I can understand that part. Because when I was out there, if those blue lights came on, or well, here in New York, they're red and blue. <laughs> if they came on behind me from a cop car, I'd be like, oh, God, please don't let them pull me over. Or if I was sticking my money through a hole in the wall, God, please let, them, let something come back out. Or, oh, God, I always went to God to get my fix. So why can't I go to God to get my fix in, in, in recovery? You know, I, I just, I don't comp for me, for this old guy, I don't comprehend shit like that. But um, I go to God today, man. That, that's where I'm at in recovery. Because it, it says somewhere in the big book that um, there's going to come a time and place in, in my sobriety that no person, place, or thing is going to keep me from getting drunk except my spiritual condition. And how do I keep up on my spiritual condition? By living in 10, 11, and 12, by doing a daily inventory, by praying and meditating. I'm not too good with the meditating because I don't like to listen all too well. 
But to me, that's what meditating is. I try to find a place to sit and be quiet. I happen to work for a bunch of Franciscan brothers, and we have our own chapel at my job. So when you can't find Dave, they know where I'm at. Dave's in the chapel, and I'm sitting there, and I'm praying. And But I say my little prayer, and then I just get quiet. And sometimes I'm sitting in there for hours, and they don't bother me. I'm like, this is cool as shit. So, but I got to be careful with that because I'll use that as an excuse to escape doing work. Because <laughs> I know me, I'm, I'm, I'm an addict, man. Uh, I look for the easiest off the way. This is the easiest off the way for me. Staying sober. Is there, uh, Marty says it all the time. I know you guys are good friends with Marty. He says, is there another drunk in me? Yeah, there is. Is there another recovery in me? Yeah, is there another recovery in me? I don't think so. And I don't want to find out, you know, so I, I stay connected to people, to people like you guys and to people like Marty and, and everybody else on the IG community. It's a new thing for me because at first I, I was I'm like, ah, I'm not too comfortable with this. But COVID forced my hand. See, and God for me works in mysterious ways. I found a whole new community. See, when I travel for a living, I say, yeah, I got friends all over the United States. Shit, I got more friends now than when I travel. I haven't met you yet, but you're still my friend. Because there, there's a, uh, a motto on AA, when, when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to always be there. You know, and, and that's what I try to do. You know, I, I try to, to live this life, not just, because sobriety and recovery are two different things for me. You know, I, I have to live a sober life in, in my recovery, you know what I mean? I Because the recovery is to come back from a hopeless state of mind, which I have. On some days and some days not, you know. Uh, but today is, is better than any day when I was out there, man. It just is, you know, and, and I hope somebody can get this, you know, because it, 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 it's there. It's readily available, you know, and I don't care what way you get it. I'll, I'll, I'll skip down the name street to the, and help you get there, you know. So I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Thank you. Yeah, so if you uh, guys want to follow me, I'm NYDay564 on Instagram. Uh, in any way I could help, I'm there for you. And we're back. That was awesome. Recovery is a return from a hopeless state of mind, which I have. can relate with yeah, that. Yeah, I was just going to say. The days are good now. They are good. Mm. You know, Thanks, Dave. That was awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that story. I can relate with a lot of it, you know? Yeah. It's funny to me. Like I, I think about sometimes I, I really enjoy the diversity in our war stories and it makes me realize just how different like people's upbringings can be. Mm -hmm. Cause I know like when I think of kids in New York and the Bronx and I, I sometimes, um, are envious of the fact that he talked about, uh, this this story with his uh, his old lady at the time when the cops went after her mm -hmm. and he's like so automatically I just start swinging and I'm like <laughs> that that is automatic for so many people who had like rough upbringings yeah and that was not my story at all <laughs> like I never like I was not like an automatic <laughs> fighter the cops busted and Cameron screams ah! and I'm just like what are you guys doing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let me show you my pod collection. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, it was, it, but 
but you know, yeah, like even yeah. though we have that different upbringing, there's still so much I can identify with. Yeah. And I really appreciated, uh, you know, his, his story about, um, his childhood and his parents and, yeah. and just rough, man. The, the journey that he had there. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, his mom got sober, you know, he watched a lot of, a lot yeah. of stuff with his dad and yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, I dig it. You know, and and we were talking, you know, when he finally got sober at 24, that's when I went through my first stage of sober. I could I could relate so much with what he was saying at that time in life. And and he like I, um, you know, I accidentally stayed sober for for three years after that treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I always say accidentally. And, and, and he kind of agreed with me because we talked after because. I didn't really do the work. Yeah. You know, I went to the meetings, I got the service position, I learned the lingo, I read the book, I identified with stuff, but I didn't do the deep internal work that, that is required for long-term sobriety for that real house cleaning that comes along with that deep work, you know, and, and that was kind of the same thing with him. And he talked about, you know, after he relapsed after that period of time, he couldn't get any time back and mm. go to meetings and lie about how much time you have and... Like fucking, like, I think I have done that, but and, I was too drunk to remember. Just not even, not even share how much time you have, but still go to meetings. And that, that was my story, man. I, mm-hmm. I never quit going to meetings the whole time, uh, until the very end, you know, for the last like two years. So for several years, I still went to meetings even though I was using. Yeah. Which is funny. Like what, I mean, it's like we're, I, I guess because I've been there, you know, like there, there really is like, there's still this hope, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's still this hope that something's going to happen. Yeah. Like it'll click. Like I'm, I'm not giving up yet. Like I'm not throwing in the towel yet. So I've got one foot here, but maybe I can still successfully use like, you know what I mean? Like get the right one. Yeah. It's just, right we're, combination. we're so conflicted. Yeah. Um, and and to hear, like, I, I totally related with him saying every time I came back, I would get shorter stints of sobriety. And then I couldn't put 30 days together. And I'm like, yeah. yep, yep, I remember yeah. that. And, uh, and and now, you know, look, like, it takes that moment of surrender, right? Like, he, he, he had this instance where he just pretty much gave up. Yeah. And, you know, he comes in and his sponsor's like, you did that again? Yeah, again. He's like, yep. And he goes, are you ready? Yep. Yep. And I feel like that's exactly the point where it's just like it, it, like once we hit that moment where we just can't, we can't lie anymore. We can't do it anymore. It almost does become that easy where it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now is yes, 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 yes. Now like, I get it. Now is the time. Like, let's do it. Yeah. And, uh, and I totally related with that. And I think, um, I really appreciate it that seems part like of the story. It seems like you're there every time, though. Like for me, I yeah. look back at it like, like it seemed like every time I was sincere, but this time, I don't know. This time was different, even even than every other different time. Really, because I feel like I always had reservations in the back of my mind. Like yeah. I would say yes, but there was always this like reservation of like, mm, but you know, like maybe I can still, yeah, I you don't know. know. I know it's stuck this time and I'm very grateful for that for, yeah. for me and for Dave, for you, you know, for all of us. So all of us that was a great story, man. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy Dave. I enjoy his perspective and I enjoy his recovery. I, I, I love his amount of service work. You know what, what he's found, uh, works really well for him. And I'm, I'm really glad for that. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like he's able to help a lot of people, um, in, in that way. So, 
And I always love it when we hear people talking about some of their service work that they're doing and they're like me, can you believe I'm doing that? Like that's, that's me doing that. And it's like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's how, that's where we can get to. Like if we, if we do the things that, that we're instructed to do, you know, if we have that appropriate amount of surrender, if we let go and let God, we can get to that far of a difference from where we were. Um, and, and I think that, man, there's a, there's a lot of hope in that. Yeah. And I need that for sure. For sure. Thanks Dave. Thanks Dave. Appreciate you, man. Yep. And thanks Cameron. Thanks Willie. I was just going to say thank you. I appreciate this, man. It's a good episode. Grateful that we get to do this. I'm going to try to let the rest of my day go, be productive. Oh, I thought that meant you were going to do nothing. No. Okay. Jordan, we're going to get out of here. Thanks, big dog. Thanks, J-Town, for all you do. Rylan, over there, rocking the camera on the camera C. We got a new camera. Thanks, Rylan. I'll just mention that really quickly. But let's get out of here. Yeah, what do you say? Let's do it. With that, remember. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the other side. And everybody, remember, you are worth the work. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.